Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikveh and well-being. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center that is transforming the mikveh experience by educating women how to use mikveh as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being and healthy relationships. Read our weekly blogs on a range of fascinating topics, download our wonderful publications, learn about our Balaniyot and Kala teacher trainings, and support us at theedencenter.com. Rabbanit Shani Tarragon has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honored to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani. It is a wonderful opportunity, as we have this week, not only a special podcast in keeping with the themes of Kedusha of Sefer Vayikra, but with the director of the Eden Center, we are going to engage in conversation, especially in lieu of all the questions that have been coming up with regard to women and mikvah, an interview with Dr. Naomi Grummet, the founder and director of the Eden Center. The Eden Center, which not only sponsors our Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast on a weekly basis, but works to improve the experience of mikvah and promote the spiritual, emotional, and physical health of Jewish women and families. So, Naomi, it is wonderful to have an opportunity to speak with you today about current events in both, obviously, the world of health, but particularly what you're so sensitive to, and that is promoting mikvah awareness and in light of the coronavirus, all the more so. So we both have been speaking throughout this week about questions that have been coming up, both with regard to halacha, but also with regard to basic sensitivity. Women who are so scared to go to the mikvah with all the directives, even this morning in Haaretz, writing about all the men's mikvahs being closed, women are waiting outside. What are your feelings about Number one, the anxiety of these women, and how can we possibly alleviate some of this anxiety, knowing what you know about Misrat HaBriyut and how the mikvahot are adhering to the various directives. So first of all, thank you so much for including me this week, Shani. It's our greatest pleasure to have this podcast as an Eden podcast on a weekly basis, and um, this is such a tremendous service to all of the women of Kali Israel. So thank you. Um, in regard to your questions about Corona, um, first of all, I think that it's a really personal decision if somebody is going to go to the mikveh at this time. And I know that there are lots of fears. Um, and there is, you know, the question of what are the risks involved, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I, I do want to say that I know that a lot of women are nervous. Um, and each person is going to make the decision for herself um, about the relative importance of going and taking the risk uh, that, you know, she might be exposed to something as opposed to what it would mean to her and her relationship if she didn't go to the mikvah. Um, and I really think that it's important for us to, to recognize that that's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a question that's there for many people. This week, I've really been trying to do a lot of research to see, um, is the mikvah safe? Can we continue to allow women to go there or not? 
Um, and I want to share with you some of my conversations um, because they did put me at ease somewhat. And I also want to share with you some things that I think you can do, that each woman can do um, to ensure her own safety. So the first thing is that I spoke to um, Professor Mitchell Schwaber, the director of the National Center for Infection Control. And I also spoke to several other heads of departments for infectious disease. And they all assured me that a properly treated mikvah, that means chlorinated or um, disinfected with bromine, um, the virus cannot live in that water. And as long as the mikvah is treated, immersing in the mikvah itself poses no risk or poses no more risk than any other time of the year when there could be other things in the water. The thing that we still do need to be aware of is um, that the mikvah building can be a place where we are exposed if we don't keep social distancing, if we don't have a distance of two meters or six feet between individuals. And if we um, touch surfaces that somebody who has been infected and unknowingly comes, of course, any woman who is in quarantine or has been infected or is sick in any way should not come to the mikvah. But um, what we want to prevent is touching something that somebody might have touched if they were infected. And that includes doorknobs and handles and other things. And so um, that's why the um, measures are so um, specific, and I'll go on to share them with you in, in a minute. But what I also want to do is to tell you that um, each of us has a responsibility to make sure for ourselves that the mikvah that we're planning to go to is keeping up to these standards. And it's important to call beforehand and ask, um, what is the mikvah doing in order to ensure our safety? Are they following the regulations? Do they know the level of chlorine or bromine in the mikvah pool? Um, are they uh, wiping down all the surfaces in between? Is it possible to, you know, come to the mikvah and go directly into the mikvah pool um, and just simply, you know, undress, put your things in the bag that you brought along and go in? Uh, you need to feel safe. You need to feel confident when you go. And if you don't, then don't go to that mikvah. Uh, I just got a story of somebody who went to the mikvah and there was a kala and all of her family, because that's very traditional here in Israel. And it was clear that they were not being careful with social distancing. And in that case, I would not feel so comfortable um, recommending that a person go to that mikvah. Um, but each of us has the responsibility of protecting other people and making sure also that the regulations are being put into effect. Right. And on that note, again, even before, if it's okay, before you address some of the particulars with regard to what's going on within the mikvot, which you know firsthand, and I can just, if I may pass on secondhand from the various questions, literally, again, hundreds of questions, most of them really exhibiting anxieties of women, but women want to know, and the, the shuls are closed, and now so many religious institutions are closed. Some of them even ask, why aren't mikvaot, where, wherein women interact so, so closely one to the other? 
why aren't those closed? And I explained, just as you just said, that this isn't like davening with a minyan. This is a mitzvah de oraita. And if a woman does not go to the mikvah and engages in relations, we're talking about any sort of karet. And just as you alluded to, we have to think about the consequences of not going to the mikvah with regard to engage in a spousal relationship during this very, very tense time. So uh, thank you for bringing that up. And I think that we do have to promote that. You know, there are so many, so many outbursts, I call them on social media, warning women and uh, warning everyone about dangerous, 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 that we don't think about that other side that you brought up. At the same time, just as you mentioned, women are still fearful and they want to know what guidelines are being taken by Misrat Habriot, what guidelines are being taken by Balaniot, by the mikvah attendants, what guidelines should we, the proletariat of society, we, the women who are going to the mikvah, what guidelines should we be conscious of as we go? So can you give us certain hanchayot, literally the, the directives from all three of these, of these, I would say, perspectives of those involved in, in the mikvah? Yeah, so let me try to address all of them. But I want to start by saying that um, if the regulations of Misradha Briut, the Ministry of Health, or the Center for Disease Control, or any of the governing bodies that are health organizations come out and say, we can't go to the mikvah, although it's a mitzvah do raita, um, the mitzvah of pikuach nefesh, the nishmartim oda nafshotechem, also are both extremely important. And to understand uh, from my point of view that um, if, and, and every day um, things are changing and there are new guidelines from the health ministries, um, and if something changes, then obviously our first responsibility is to follow those guidelines. As hard as that will be for us, um, those of us who follow the laws of NIDA. There is no question oh, that we you. also need. And I know it's come in our previous conversations, in addition to, I'm sure, everyone's particular rev, I hope, echoing exactly that guideline. And I know that you've heard personally from Rav Usher Weiss, again, we're talking about Gedolei Hador here, who have said that the first priority is to follow the Hanchayot of Nisrat Habriyot. So, uh, Whatever those guidelines of Mitzrat Habriyot may be, halachically now, we're required to follow them. So uh, thank okay. you, Naomi. So what are those guidelines? So let's talk about what are the guidelines for women. Um, basically, our goal um, and what Mitzrat Habriyot, Mitzrat Habriyot has stated that um, as long as the water is chlorinated um, or you know treated properly, because it could be brome, it could be chlorine, um, then the the virus will not transfer in the water. And um, when I spoke to Inbar Primor, who is the um, representative at the Ministry of Health who um, checks the coronation levels um, and gives the instructions for how uh, it, uh, things should be sterilized, first of all, she assured me that in the mikvah oat, um, she goes around and checks regularly. This week she was in Beit Shemesh, but she's travels around regularly checking random samples from mikvaot, and she says that they are up to standard. And if she has ever found a problem, she tells the balaniot, and the attendants are always um, happy to get her guidance because obviously the all mikvah attendants 
um, want to protect the women who are there. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely um, first and foremost, I think, in people's minds and in and in the Bellinio's mind is to make the mikvah safe for everybody. So um, she did that call me. very good to hear. Thank you. Yes. She did call me also when I heard that she said that in general, the levels are um, correct and sometimes even more than they need to be. Um, and that for sure kills um, the coronavirus because the coronavirus is actually a virus that's not so amid. I also felt very... Um, relieved when I heard her say that because um, she ha- knows the, the guidelines um, about chlorine are that they have to be 1.5 to 3 milligrams per liter and bromine for those mostly in chutzlaret who use them has to be between 3 and 6 milligrams per liter um, and all the mikvot and the, uh, the attendants are given directives on how to get it to that level. Um, but when we go, uh, it, the other surfaces in the mikvah also need to be clean. So the, the one aspect of it is that the water itself does not transfer um, the virus. But what we do need to be aware of is our interaction between people and with other things in the space. Now, right now, the balaniot are being very careful to wipe down other surfaces. And again, they need to wipe it with either alcohol that's 70% or they need to wipe it down better with bleach that is um, diluted for 40 milliliters, which is a a little less than three tablespoons for a liter of water. Um, And that is the, the, um, the product that they're supposed to use for wiping down surfaces and also the floors after a woman walks on the floor. Um, and they are instructed to wipe everything that a person might come in contact with. That will be from the hooks to the doorknobs um, to the handrail, everything. This is what the, they're doing right now, and they do it between every woman who immerses. Naomi, I have to tell you, you're already calming me down because I've been trying to encourage women, and I've been saying, you know, I know in the mikvah by us, that they said not to worry. Now every woman is going to have a clean room. The disinfecting between woman to woman is going to be 20 minutes. So they wrote a letter to all of us. Everyone, please stay calm. And in the sense of there, you know, no rushing to the mikvah because we're going to disinfect well. And now I hear from you the details of this disinfecting. As a matter of fact, I'm also so encouraged because I know that different departments of health and I've heard this also from uh, schools of, again, of, you know, of contagious diseases that coronavirus has been proven to, uh, to literally be neutralized in 0.5 milligrams per liter. And now you're telling me that in a mikvah, there are minimally 1.5 milligrams and in some places higher than three. So one is really even super disinfected when one immerses in the mikvah. That's such a wonderful feeling <laughs> to know that you go and you're going to walk out without kind of without any any traces of the virus. <laughs> that is yeah. phenomenal. Certainly and this virus, about, so that's good. But, uh, yeah. but in terms of what women need to be doing, let's just talk about that for a minute because um, yeah. it's really important for women to know that right now our goal is to reduce the possibility of exposure um, and that is why we have social distancing um, and you're supposed to keep 
two meters between any two people, um, including a mikvah attendant. You should not be standing next to your mikvah attendant, and the women's appointments at the mikvah should be spaced so that women are not coming at the same time, and so no two women are next to each other at the same time. But women are really right now being instructed because we really do want to protect from that whatever level of risk there is, we want to minimize that completely. So um, basically, the goal is to get into the tefillah and out, and that's it. We want to go into the mikvah um, and leave the facility and make sure we're not around other people. So that means prepare everything at home. Really um, do your chafifa, clean your entire, and check your entire body from head to toe. And before you leave your house, also do your final check, which normally you would do in the mikvah. You, you normally do your iyun in the mikvah. Um, and here we've been instructed by Rabbanim, I, um, I had a conversation with Rav Ramon. I had a conversation with one of the Rabbanim from Pua. Shani, you told me that you had a similar conversation with Rav Shmuel Eliyahu um, that says that we should do our iyun at home, come to the mikvah prepared. You can even come in your slippers or flip-flops, um, you know, get undressed and put your fingers through your hair to make sure there's nothing knotted. If you take off your hair covering and then go straight into the water, you really don't need to do any checking. In fact, um, the mikvah attendant um, is also could come into the room when a woman is already in the water to make sure that she stays two meters away, six feet away from any other woman. Um, and she can also leave the room before the woman exits the mikvah. Um, and really, if you do go into the prep room, um, it's not to take a shower. It's not to do a lot more preparations. It's not to spend a long time there. This is not our normal, let me relax and take a deep breath and a moment to myself and have time to prepare my spiritual connection in the mikvah. This is, I need to go to the mikvah and I'm doing it as fast as I can. In fact, I really believe that you should go there um, with minimal amounts of things to take off. Um, get yourself ready. If you, if this is, if you need a jacket, um, take, it's better if you take your jacket off, leave your purse in the car, but just bring your keys mm -hmm. Um, you know, wear your flip-flops already when you're going into the building. Um, and the recommendation that I really have in order to really minimize your touching anything that might have been in contact with somebody, which, again, I, I really believe that the Bellaniot are doing a fabulous job of wiping down, but, you know, everybody's human. We can miss something. So is bring your own plastic bag that you will dispose of afterward. Have your towel in there. Take your towel out, put your clothes into your bag that you've taken off um, when you um, are ready to go into the mikvah and go down into the mikvah and then remove your towel from your bag and or if the mikvah attendants are very careful to wipe the rail outside the mikvah, you can put your towel on the railing and then leave. So, Naomi, I'm so happy that we're saying and we're sharing a similar voice. Because I've been telling women something very, very similar, you know, women who are so nervous, and especially with the new hanchayot that you mentioned of staying, you know, three meters apart one from the other. 
Goet to certainly encourage women to even call their mikvahs in advance and ask the mikvah lady to let them know when, you know, when is their turn. And they can even, halakhically, they can even, you know, completely bystep the, the stage of going through the preparation room. Just as you said, if they want to put their everything down, I had a woman who called me last night who said she just wants to go straight from her car to the mikvah. Is there a way to do that? And the answer is definitely yes. If you prepare, and that's what's encouraged by everyone, Rabbanin, the health ministry today, please, please prepare at home. Perform all your hafif at home. For those who don't have a bath at home, you can rely on an intense shower at home. And then you can go, just as you mentioned, either through the preparation room or if you're even nervous to to add a step of exposure, even though it's completely disinfected, to go straight from your car to the mikvah itself, you know, ask the balanit, let you know when to come in. She takes a step three meters away from you. You are remove your clothing like we do on Friday night, a very quick yun throughout the body, halachically, to inspect oneself right before one goes into the mikvah. Faradiyod even have this easier. They can say the bracha right there, again, just with a towel, a bathrobe, or even, again, a basic clothing to cover their erva, go straight into the mikvah afterwards, Ashkenaziot, say the bracha in the water, and then minimal tefillot, or faradiyah, that means just immersing, after the bracha coming out, an Ashkenazi, and immersing, saying the bracha, immersing once more. Some Ashkenazi women have a minhag to tovel again. Some add more more times of immersing. If you're nervous, then come out after the minimal number of immersions and I'll put your clothing back on, or as you said, go back to the preparation room and get that towel and, and get dressed. Go straight back home without... And, and that really is the halakhically proper way of doing things as well. I have to tell you that as you're talking, I'm thinking about something that I know that Ezen Sensor works on in promoting the ideas of Chazal in bringing us together as women, as couples, as a community. And we talk about the interaction between Balaniot and women. And I'm thinking this is so sad in today's times where we have the social distancing, as you mentioned, we really, we can, you know, I love going to the mikvah and talking to the balaniyot, and and we have to, on one hand, distance ourselves. On the other hand, particularly the mikvah is today where we can express the greatest arivut hadadit, the greatest mutual responsibility one for the other. Trusting the balaniyot, knowing that they're taking care of, whether it's the chlorine levels, the disinfecting, the respect of, of the space, and just being there to make sure that we immerse properly, but respecting us and at the same time, that we respect the space and the place of the mikvah, that we know that if we're at all, if we have fever, if we're immunocompromised, if we're, and if uh, we have... If we're coughing or we have any other symptoms, if a person is sick at all, I'm sorry that I cut you off, but um, if a person is sick at all, they should not be going to the mikvah now. which really is a beautiful expression of our mutual responsibility one to the other. I'm responsible to make sure that all the women in my community and the Balaniot stay safe, and the Balaniot take that responsibility to make sure that I stay safe, and this is all within the framework of halacha. And I want to say that, you know, I, you're saying it um, so beautifully, and I want to even more so say that the Masiru Nefesh of Balaniot right now is just unbelievable because um, everybody's being told to stay at home, and Balaniot and Mikvah attendants are willing to, and, and going to work 
and um, it's such mysterious nefesh for Am Yisrael for this mitzvah. You're 100% right. I don't think we've been thinking about that. <laughs> You're right. I'm thinking, you know, and I love this conversation that representing the fears, but also encouraging women to go and you representing all those balaniyot who you're right, are giving up their time and their own their own exposure, you know, or lack thereof to help these women during these trying times. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. And I think speaking of trying times, and as much as we are giving you the guidance for how to go to the mikvah safely, um, right now, becoming a nida um, can really add a lot of stress, especially as every day we don't know what things are going to be closed. We don't know if the mikvahs are going to stay open. But as Rat Hashem, they will. But we really don't know what's going to be coming along the line in this pandemic. Um, and therefore, although I'm usually the last one to recommend this, I would say that if somebody is taking birth control, um, this would be the time to take back-to-back so that she does not become a nida. And there may be some women who want to consider um, using that as uh, as a means for shalom bayit, if that's something that works for them, um, that, that now would be the time to take um, precautions to try not to become a nida, if that's mm-hmm. at all possible. That's an excellent point, yes. And at the same time, those who are trying to conceive, and that this would would be, I think, a time wherein one should continue to try. So you're 100% right. Every woman has to evaluate where she is in her cycle, and again, at the anticipations of the of the upcoming weeks. When you mentioned the closure of mikvah, oh, it's not me. I have to tell you that that makes me a little nervous. I hope that that would be not even the last step. In my mind, I see that as a drastic step and closing the mikvahot and because people are not adhering to guidelines, I think would be horrible for, for relationships or and the, the strengthening of marriages. And therefore, I think that it's imperative that we follow the guidelines properly, that both the palaniyocho, that they're cautious with regard to chlorine checks, that women within the communities are going to stand together in whether it's making sure that Ms. Ratabriot comes to check the mikvahot, but at the same time that we ourselves as individuals take those responsibilities to adhere to the guidelines that we can make sure that our own community members are safe and that we don't come to that state wherein the, uh, the government may have to close mikvahot because of the negligence of individuals. Yep, and I do think that we should sort of put a... Uh, round out this conversation by saying that if somebody in her personal relationship um, or and her personal circumstances decides that she really can't go to the mikvah because she's too nervous about it, because she can't take the risk, because she has um, some kind of condition or she has elderly parents or a sick family member that she has to take care of and it's not a risk that she can take, that is Every woman has to take into account whatever her circumstances are with no guilt um, and, you know, no, she will deal with whatever the reality of the situation is, but, you know, without feeling 
guilty for not going because of that. I think that's also a really important part of this conversation, just acknowledging that it's hard and that everybody will make their own decision. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. This is the time, just as you opened up by saying that we need, we need the the stability of the home to keep us grounded. We're about to celebrate this this Thursday and tonight, Wednesday night, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the, uh, the time where we're told, in 10 days from now is when Am Yisrael were instructed to take a stay inside the home. Inside the home. The only way that our homes can really be stable is if we have these relationships that are built off of halacha. And Naomi, I cannot thank you enough, really, for, and through the Eden Center, and uh, to have these platforms where we can can counter some of the negative social media and talk about this importance and encourage women to go particularly again this month, particularly in the month wherein we're supposed to strengthen our homes. We know that the women in Mitzrayim, we talk about in the past, the Shut Nashim Tzitkaniot Negalubine Yisraomi Mitzrayim, and Chazal explain the Shut Nashim Tzitkaniot Bechol Dor. In every generation, it does require a lot of misivut, definitely the balaniot, and also the women to know, to know how to be cautious, but to know and that, yes, it means and garnering our strength, knowing that we're going to be careful from then help the nishmartim of the nafshotechim, but at the same time, knowing that this way we can truly enhance our relationships. Let's hope that through the health of Eden, with these directives, Naomi, that you've given us, with this encouragement, that women will be enthused and encouraged and inspired and excited to continue to go to the mikvah with the proper precautions and perhaps to Ezrasafim to facilitate and catalyze the process of Gu'ula. For anybody who's interested in more in-depth information, if you're a mikvah attendant on Thursday at 1 p.m. in Israel, we are having a fabulous webinar with Rav Shmuel Eliyahu with the Mitchell Schwaber, the director of the National Center for Infection Disease Control, sorry, um, and Rafi Ostroff, who's the head of the Moetza at the Tzid and Goshet Zion, uh, be in touch with us by email if you want to join, info at theedincenter.com. And, and for women in the community, we have a wonderful two-part series on mikvah and intimacy in the times of corona. The first about mikvah safety is on Thursday, the 26th at 9 p.m. Israel time. Um which will include Professor Schwaber again, the director for the National Center for Infection Control, along with Rev. Gidon Weitzman from PUA, Rev. Rafi Ostroff, the head of the Moitza Datit Goshetzion, and Dr. Judith Fogel, Yoetz and Halacha. Um, we have the pleasure of having Dr. Sharon Grossman moderate that. We've had Sharon on with Shani in the past discussing BRCA. And on Sunday night, the 29th, also at 9 p.m., we are having a second in the series about making space for intimacy with couples and sex therapists, Dr. David Ribner, Jody Waxpress, Lizzie Rubin, and again, Dr. Judith Fogel, which I will be happily moderating. Um, you can join that by signing up at bit.ly backslash edenzoom, E-D-E-N-Z-O-O-M. Hope to see you there and may we all stay healthy.
This week's podcast is sponsored in honor of Hadassah Emunah Gluchs Bat Mitzvah and Beschut Refuash Lema to all those that are in need. And now we continue with the discussion of the Parsha podcast of the week as we not only enter into the month of Nisan, but we start with Parshat Vayikra, an entirely new Sefer. The Sefer that teaches us about Kedusha and also teaches us about Korbanot, teaches us how to get close to God, how to develop a relationship with Hashem once we have a Mishkan. As we note the very end of Sefer Shemot, we hear about the static function of the Mishkan and a dynamic function of the Mishkan that's going to lead us through our travels in the desert that will continue in Sefer Bamidbar. But for now, we want to try to understand how does one get close close to Hashem through the Mishkan. How are we going to learn about this amorphous concept of Kedusha? And Sefer Vayikra ironically begins not with a temple that's set aside for the priests, as we know in pagan religions, but rather Adam Kiakriv Mikhem. We hear about every individual in society who is supposed to recognize through the Mishkan not merely the transcendence of God, but the imminence of God in this world and how we may relate to it. And how do we relate to it? We bring Karbanot. And how does Parshat Vayikra begin? It begins, interestingly, with the voluntary korbanot. You can bring an ola. A person wakes up in the morning and he wants to note his connection to God. He's going to bring an animal, a tzon, bakar, of. He's going to bring one of these and sacrifice it to God and it's entirely consumed on the mezbah to show that we recognize that God is our maker, that God is the one who provides life for us. As the Rambam tells us, all of these korbanot are means to enable us who were exposed to all different forms of worship to appreciate that even as a matarashnia, even as a means, these karbanot are going to help us get closer to God, are going to help us understand a matarashnia, communication with God. And therefore, even during the time of the next Beit HaMikdash, Be'ezrat Hashem, we're going to go back initially to karbanot in order for us to appreciate what it means to get close to Hashem. According to the Ramban, we need these karbanot so that we see animals, animals that have life, that have the same locomotive skills as we do, who are sacrifice on the Mizbech for us to appreciate that Hashem is the one who controls life. And after we hear about the Ola, we're going to hear about the Mincha and the Shlamim, other voluntary expressions of karbanot, followed by the chatat and the asham, the obligatory sacrifices that must be brought in a case of either sinning bishogeg by accident or an asham, generally expressive of our negligence. Even then, we have to bring karbanot to show that we're going to reestablish a relationship with Hashem through the mikdash. Next week's parsha, parsha tzav, we're going to hear about how the, the kohanim are going to deal with the karbanot that we bring, and there the order is going to be very different. The order is going to be Ola Minchashlamim Khatat Asham as this week's parsha, next week's parsha is Ola Mincha Khatat Asham Shlamim because the Kohanim are going to relate to the Karbanot in a different way. So stay tuned for next week to hear that. But back to this week's parsha. After we hear about the Ola, we hear about the Mincha. And this is so strange. I would think that after hearing about the animal sacrifice of the Ola, we should continue with the Shlamim, animal sacrifices that are brought to express Shalom, a completion, a certain development with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Thanksgiving to Hashem. And yet, what do we hear about? We hear about flower offerings that are given. That's the Mincha. There it doesn't begin with Adam Kiakriv, but rather Nefesh Kia Takriv Karban Mincha 
Lahashem. Chapter 2 starts with its own independent introduction discussing these meal offerings as opposed to animal sacrifices. And the Barbanel asks, why does the Torah discuss the laws of Mincha prior to that of Shlamim? After all, the Shlamim is taken from the cattle or from herds. We would have thought that that should have been commanded prior to the Mincha. However, explains the Barbanel, the Mincha is actually very similar to the Ola by virtue of the fact that a Kohen takes a Komet, takes a handful of the Mincha, and has to sacrifice what's called the Askara, Lifne Hashem. As a matter of fact, if for whatever reason the Kohanim do not eat their portion of the Mincha sacrifice, then the Mincha is offered in its entirety to Hashem as an Ola. So we see that there is an essential connection between the sacrifice of Ola and Mincha with regards to the intention of the person who offers them. Each one involves an attitude of complete sacrifice before the Ribono Shalolam, the master of the universe. But notice again, the introduction is not Adam Kiakriv, but Nefesh Kitakriv, the Nefesh. The Gemara in Masech HaManachot explains why does the Torah employ this term nefesh? Hashem says, who is it who usually brings a mincha? A poor person. I am going to consider it as though he sacrifices his nefesh. What is the Torah trying to teach us through this? The nefesh, as we know, is the basic essence of a person. As later on in Vayikra chapter 17, we're going to learn that the blood is the nefesh. The nefesh expresses life itself, embodied in blood. And what the mincha then is coming to express is that when there is no blood, in other words, the nefesh is not offered upon the altar, there isn't going to be actual animal blood or human blood, chas v'shalom, offered upon the altar. The, the altar, the misbah, but we will say that it's the nefesh who's offering a sacrifice. In other words, when someone brings a sacrifice of an animal, one recognizes that he is bringing a nefesh. He's bringing something symbolic of his life, his very existence. He's recognizing that God is the one who infuses life in people. By offering a mincha, he is declaring something not about his life, but rather his life's needs. He is thanking Hashem not for creating life, but for sustaining life. I can't think then of a more appropriate korban to relate to in these days. Sometimes we wonder, and especially now, what messages we're supposed to learn from our vulnerability, our vulnerabilities in lieu of the coronavirus, of seeing left and right our social dis- distancing, but at the same time, the need to truly try to internalize what it means then to relate to Kadosh Baruch Hu. And sometimes we take for granted not only the idea of God giving us life, but all the more so maintaining life, maintaining health. The Karban Mitcha is a constant reminder of how we must be cognizant of Hashem sustaining ourselves. The very fact that only only the basic needs, only Makolot, only Rami Levi branches are open these days is because we are so vulnerable. We need this food. We need the Mincha. And that's what someone is offering. One is bringing a mincha in order to show one's expression that the sustenance of his life belongs to Hashem. And we find this also in the ex- expressed in the quantity of the flour that's required for a mincha offering. We bring a tenth of an efa. This quantity represents a person's food for one day. As we know, this is the exact same amount that a person collected in the midbar from the mana. Rashi quotes, Anna the man that's collected, as we know from Shmo chapter 16, a tenth of an ifa.
that is the set quantity of challah and for mincha offerings. This is the connection between the idea of God providing food, the basic essence of man, the manna from heaven, God providing food for man, and the mincha offering, where man gives his food, his basic sustenance, to Hashem, helping us appreciate how that's how we have to understand and be thankful and grateful. If we don't have a karba mincha today, then we need other ways of reminding ourselves that we have to be grateful for the maintenance of our life and our health towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's so exciting, even I love the mincha. Out of all the karbanot, I think to myself, what's going to be the first of the karbanot that we bring? Well, it's going to be a little difficult to bring animal sacrifices right away, but it's not difficult to bring a mincha consisting of flour and oil and spices, the livona. So I can imagine that we would bring this to at the Beit HaMikdash. And when this is brought, we can bring it, as the Torah tells us, in all different forms. You can bring, in this, in, bring it in its raw form, as solat, and let the Kohen decide how to prepare it. Or you can bring it as a mafetanor, as a pita, either a thick pita or rikikim or flat pitot. Or you can bring it as a machvat, one of my favorite. Bring it as a pancake style. And that's how the Kohen is going to sacrifice part of it on the Mizbech. Or bring it as a marcheshet, deep fried, in a, a deep pan, again, sufganiyah style. Whatever the case is, the mincha helps us understand on one hand our creative aspect of sacrifice before Hashem. But at the same time, the idea of recognizing that Hashem, in fact, is responsible for sustaining our lives. The mincha appears after the laws of Ola because there is a connection between them. It's a religious declaration that accompanies each of them. The person expresses his sense of unworthiness, of all the good, of all the chasadim that Hashem showers upon us. Now is the time for us to realize, to appreciate every aspect of our social interaction, every aspect of our existence. We certainly feel now that our life is not our own. And when one sacrifices, again, his nefesh upon the altar, an animal's nefesh, one appreciates the ola, the idea that God is the one who creates life. When we bring our mincha as a continuation, we see that it's not just about God creating life, but we recognize that God sustains life. God maintains life. God provides our personal needs, our food, our physical welfare. And when we bring a mincha, we're basically bringing this declaration to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, recognizing that Hashem is really the one who is responsible for the maintenance of our health. May we use this message of Parshat Vayikra, internalize this message to appreciate our health day in and day out. And if we can't offer a Karban Mincha today in the form of the Mafet Tanur or the Machvat or the Marcheshet, then let the difficulties that we're going through, the sacrifices that we're all making, let them allow us to be more sensitive then. Let us declare in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, this is our Mincha. This is our sacrifice to you, Hashem, as an appreciation for the daily chasadim, for the daily kindnesses, for the health that sometimes we take for granted that we want to thank you for. Have a Shabbat Shalom and a Chodesh Tov, a Muvorach. May everyone stay not just happy, but very healthy as well, grateful for the brachot day in and day out. Is there someone in your life that you want to honor? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional or a teacher or a yoetzet who went above and beyond to help you, or a yard site or death that you want to mark. 
please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honour of a special person in your life. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon, music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb, and is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships, and support. You can reach us at www.theedencenter.com.